Hey there, are you sick and tired of feeling sick and tired? Join Adel Kozilski and Fagy Stern as they explore ways to reverse chronic illness and achieve vibrant health. Your health is your only wealth and together we can be better. Hashtag Healthy You, Wealthy You. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to the Healthy You, Wealthy You show. I'm Adel Kozilski, together with Faith. Good morning, Faith. Good morning, Adel. Uh, definitely a perk of load shedding. We get to be in person. Absolutely. So we are here, and we're here to tell you more about how to stop being sick and tired or sick and tired. And we're super excited to have probably one of our favorite guests um, in, in studio now, in person, and that is Dr. Jack Castle. As we know, Dr. Jack Castle has been a pediatrician for more than six decades and has a wealth of knowledge and just down-to-earth understanding of how the body works. And there's so much, while, while he's a pediatrician and, uh, you know, specialized in children, I know for myself that I have believed a tremendous amount about my body. And then again, on how to uh, look after my grandchildren. I know that is just a phone call away. So today we're going to continue with the discussion about blood. Um, in previous uh interviews with Dr. Castle, we spoke about the red blood cells and the white blood cells, and today we are going to be talking about abnormalities of the blood. So a warm welcome, Dr. Castle. Morning, Dad. Morning, Peggy. Lovely to be back. It's been a long break in between. I was in Israel myself for a long time. It's lovely to be back in this program. And as both Abel and Peggy have said, we try to talk to the listener, not scientifically, but practically. I'll carry on, and uh, as Adel has said, we have discussed the red blood cell and its abnormalities. We've discussed the white blood cell and its abnormalities in previous talks. Today, we will talk about the platelet or clotting cell, which, as you will see later in the program, is vital to life. Platelets or clotting cells are manufactured from stem cells in the bone marrow. And their main function is to move to a site of bleeding. Immediately this occurs and to form a sticky plug to block off the bleeding in the same way as your bath plug stops the water from running out of the bath. That's what the platelet does. But it does not form it's only a temporary measure. It does not form the permanent blood clot. The permanent blood clot is brought about by the other clotting factors in the blood. Um, they're all of great importance. Probably the most important one is the prothrombin clotting factor. That is something that is interfered with in a lot of therapy today, particularly when anticoagulants are given and if that clotting factor is missing or too low, you will simply not clot your blood. The platelets control as the initial acute phase of bleeding and are measured by a simple finger prick test known as the bleeding time. You prick your finger, you see how long it takes for the, uh, for the platelets to get around the site of bleeding and the bleeding stops. That is known as the bleeding time. And it is normally about four minutes. The clotting factors which then take over and combine to form the permanent blood clot are measured by the clotting time. That takes considerably longer. 
from a broad perspective, there is a significant difference between blood clotting abnormalities caused by plate dysfunction and those caused by clotting factor dysfunctions. The platelet dysfunctions account for nearly 99% of your blood clotting abnormalities. The blood clotting factors only about 1 to 5%. This is of particular importance in planned surgical procedures, where one should never go into a planned operation without having a full blood count plus bleeding time, measuring the platelet function, and also measuring the clotting time. <clears throat> Dr. Puzzle, would that, would that mean for absolutely every planned thing? So if you're taking your child in for tonsillectomy or you're, you're doing kind of like a routine type of operation, you should always ensure that, that this test is done? Well, it's, it's never always done, but it should always be done because very often you only pick up the clotting factor abnormalities when a, uh, when a patient has an emergency cesarean section and they do the caesar and they can't all of a sudden find they cannot stop the bleeding. And then everybody gets very excited, can't stop the bleeding. They discover that she's got a congenital clotting, uh, clotting factor deficiency, factor nine. And it was only picked up in a girl over the, uh, in the childbearing age. If you did this to everybody, it would be a little bit traumatic for a pediatric child to start pricking his finger and doing clotting times. But certainly you should be aware, a, a blood count should be checked. You should be aware that the platelet count is normal. Now, what is a normal platelet count? A normal platelet count is somewhere between 250,000 and 400,000. And anything less than 100,000 is considered thrombocytopenia, too few platelets. I will focus the rest of the discussion today on thrombocytopenia because this is of which are of pertinent importance to both pediatric and adult medicine. Some of the most important conditions in clinical medicine, both pediatric and medical, are related to deficient non-functioning, absent platelets. The first condition that I wish to discuss is the condition given the very complicated name of idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. Oh, my word. Don't that sort of All the word means is idiopathic means we don't really know the cause. <laughs> thrombocytopenic means the platelets are less than 100,000, and purpura means you're bruising. Well, it's not the correct term today because we do know many causes of idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura. They are now being documented almost daily. In this condition, the platelet count drops precipitously and may even reach levels of naught, zero. Why does it occur? It's our own old friend, the autoimmune disease. With the antigen, the stimulating factor for the antibody, they come either from a virus or a bacterial septicemia or, uh, or 
known viruses today, and I won't mention the word COVID in this program. In other words, the antigen stimulates an antibody in the bone marrow that does not only attack the stimulating antigen, but starts attacking healthy body tissues. In this case of ITP, the attack is usually confined to the platelets. It is usually self-limiting. It is called acute, and it's self-limiting in 85% of cases. But it may also become subacute or chronic. The important point to remember is that the antibody attack on the platelet is usually confined to the platelet, but it may be a precursor of troubles to come in the later life of this patient. Always take notice of a patient who has had ITP of childhood because the antibody attacking the platelet may suddenly spread over in an adult, in an adult, start attacking the red blood cell, start attacking the kidney, start attacking the joints, and then we call the condition lupus spermatosis, a breakdown of the immune system. We're talking to Dr. Castle, and we are talking about abnormalities of blood. If you would like to ask Dr. Castle a question, you can SMS us on 34519, or our telegram number is 061-895-1019. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. We're talking to Dr. Castle. We're talking about abnormalities of the blood. If you have a question, 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. So one of the things, Dr. Castle, you said just before the break that the abnormality of the blood will be shown in somebody who easily bruises. And that's like a question I want to ask you, particularly with young kids, particularly with little boys. You know, they're forever smashing and bashing themselves. When when do you differentiate between, oh, he bumped himself on the jungle gym and then he fell off the swing and then he got a punch from his brother and the kids got, like, you know, uh, bruises all over and a disease that that, 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 is, that is found in the body? Well, there's one golden rule. And that is the bruising that is usually harmless is in the dependent parts of the body. When a child playing football, playing soccer, will bump his legs and do that sort of thing. But when bruising starts to appear in the mouth and the face, bleeding gums, bleeding nose, doesn't stop, that's the time to be careful. You discussed about the bleeding nose, though, like my son has a bleeding nose pretty often. Is it something that you have to, you know, be be aware of? You've got to be aware of it, and you've got to correlate that with the other very important signs. So one is anemia. Malignancies of the blood will seldom occur without anemia first. We're coming to that. So if you've got a bleeding nose and anemia, bruises on top of it, then you don't wait for one minute. You get on, you get on and do something about it. If it's purely a bleeding nose, it has a high chance of being allergic, and you deal with it in the in, in that way with a nose drop that will cause constriction of the vessels or cauterizing the bleeding area. You don't panic about a bleeding nose as such, but where a bleeding nose has the other factors with it, anemia is the key word to remember. 
If a child becomes anemic with bleeding, this is a red flag. It's a dangerous thing. You must do something immediately. Coming to. So then have them tested. Have them tested. The second type of platelet abnormality answers Fagy's question. It is due to the changes in the bone marrow. These occur in the blood malignancies of both children and adults. And this happens when the red blood cell formation and the platelet formation are crowded out and replaced by proliferating cancerous malignant white blood cells. And it usually happens in the following order. Usually the anemia comes first, the bruising becomes second, and the abnormalities of the white cells come last. So that is how we differentiate. These are your leukemias, your lymphomas, and all your related blood malignancies, and it applies to both children and adults. Particularly in children, it is very important to be aware of this, because today, childhood leukemia, as horrible as the word sounds, is almost 100% curable, provided you get it early when it is still in the bone marrow and hasn't established itself. And that can only happen if you obey the signs that I've told you. Is there, is, um, is there, a, well, there, there must be, is there a cause behind the body going crazy like that and starting to, the, the antibodies starting to attack the blood cells? Do we understand today in science what, what we do what understand in science. Science is talking about an anti-tumor antibody where your own body produces an antibody which stops this from happening. And it's only when this antibody is interfered with or becomes deficient that you develop your cancer. So don't play around with the body's antibodies. So what does that mean? So if I don't want to play around with that, I'm putting you in a hole. I think, I think it's important to understand that because, you know, the, the, the diseases you're talking about are, are pretty we're, frightening. We're treading into really dangerous territory. Okay, we're going, we're going to, 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 to train. I think, sorry, I'll just to add to this because you did discuss that it's autoimmune, which means that my question is, is it something that's genetic that you get from your family and then autoimmune means that you kind of turn those genes on to become, you know, to have this issue? No, autoimmune means you direct the immunity against yourself. So you go do all these clever, clever things, you get virus infections, you become immune, combat the virus. You get bacterial infections, you become immune, you combat the bacteria. You get vaccines, you become immune, you combat the vaccines. But key note to remember is that as these antibodies get produced and produced and produced, they may all of a sudden run wild. And when the antibodies run wild, they start destroying other tissues of the body. And that is called autoimmune disease. It's a breakdown of your immune system. And when you enter this, and I really don't want to get involved in this discussion, but when you enter the field of vaccinology and immunizations and all that sort of thing, adopt the Kussel philosophy, and that has always been vaccinate yourself against something that is likely to kill you. Don't run around using vaccines for diseases where you're far better or be, uh, 
we be far better off acquiring natural immunity. Natural immunity is still the gold standard. The immunity that your body produces, that is very unlikely to produce autoimmunity. Besides vaccination, uh, or excessive use of vaccination causing autoimmunity, are there other factors that can cause autoimmunity? Yes, persistent stimulation with antigens. You know, if a person works uh, in an asbestos factory, for instance, and constantly gets stimulated with an asbestos antigen, and eventually the antibodies turn on his tissues, that's autoimmune directed itself. But please, listeners, don't get the false impression, and I'm not saying this over here, because vaccinations have saved millions of people's lives, that they've been used in pandemics. Whether one should go on using them and continue to use them when it's not to save a person's life is a debatable point, and it's still open for a lot of discussion today. And you will find that scientists are divided along the line as to whether this should or shouldn't be done. So in terms of autoimmune, autoimmune disease, um, of any type, I mean, we're talking about autoimmune disease that, are, that, that is attacking the blood. But any autoimmune disease, one should, is it correct to say that one should look in one's environment, what one's ingesting, um, that, that, that might be triggering off, triggering off an autoimmune disease? For Absolutely. example, gluten for some people Absolutely. is so bad, milk, a, 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 a milk intolerance can, can, can be bad enough that it actually eventually will trigger an autoimmune disease. Is that correct? I would say it is correct. I don't know any literature or band that supports this, but I would say it's not beyond the bounds of possibility that you're a gluten sensitivity and you produce antibodies that eventually the antibodies to gluten will go and start attacking other parts of the body. You know, we had this discussion yesterday also because with regard to gluten, because it doesn't mean that you have to have an actual symptom doesn't mean that you have to be bloated or, you know, you can have so many different types of symptoms. Someone the other day just said that it's attacking her bones and she died, she didn't realize that it's actually gluten that's doing that. Um, and then, like you say, Adel, you know, you have your household chemicals. Obviously, things that your body isn't able to manage, it's going to start attacking. And then it lowers your immune system. Your body's always there to defend you, as you'll see from the next part of the program. And that defense is your natural defense mechanism. And your body, funnily enough, also defends you against tumors. Autopsies have been done where they show that people age of 90 or excess of 90 have tiny little cancers all over their body, but the cancers don't spread. Why don't they spread? This is the anti-tumor vaccine. When that the natural, happens, the natural anti-tumor vaccine, as soon as you break down your natural defenses, then inviting trouble. Don't interfere with our defenses that were there 3,300 years ago. They're still way ahead of all of the other things. Okay, let's continue there. Well, we must continue. Thirdly, excessive blood loss can eventually lead to greater deficiency because when you lose enormous quantities of blood, you also lose enormous quantities of platelets. And the mistake that is often made is you go on replacing the blood and you forget to replace the platelets. If you don't give fresh platelet transfusions with the blood, 
the bleeding will never stop because there are no clotting factors and no platelet factors to stop the bleeding. So that should be remembered. The fourth type of platelet abnormality is hypersplenism. The spleen is the organ that phagocytosis the platelets removes them from the circulation. But the spleen, for some inexplicable reason, particularly in the first condition, idiopathic thrombocytopenic purpura, starts eating up too many platelets. It's called hypersplenism. And if this hypersplenism cannot be controlled with the measures that you adopt and steroids, you may eventually end up removing the spleen. It's not common, but it may sometimes have to be done. Remember to get it in perspective. 85% of your cases of ITP are acute. Only 15% are subacute and chronic. And of the ones that are subacute or chronic, always remember that ITP of childhood always means that you've got to watch out for other immune disorders. Just can we talk about the spleen just a little bit just to, to understand more because I think it's a very um, misunderstood um, organ. Everybody knows what the kidneys do and what the liver does and the lungs and the heart. Is the is the spleen only, is, is it like a vacuum cleaner of it's a vacuum cleaner of the circulation. It phagocytes cells, removes them from the circulation, particularly the platelets. So what happens when somebody got it but has to have their spleen removed? Other, other areas of the body take out. So, so you can live without a spleen? You can live without a spleen. But then people who do not have spleens have to be hypervigilant about... Because you become more susceptible to certain infections. The pneumococcus, particularly, you can get pneumococcal septicemia and die within six hours if you've had a splenectomy. So any person that has a splenectomy must go on to prophylactic antibiotics the moment they get sick because it's also a very important immune factor, the spleen. It's, uh, it, it, it plays an important role in immunity. And you don't have the immunity, you don't have the ability to remove the, uh, the, uh, the worn out cells in the blood. But immunity is a very, very important factor. We're talking to Dr. Cussell and we're talking about blood disorders. If you have a question or you have a comment, 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. Okay, so we've got again another another condition, Doctor? Well, there's a rapidly growing group of other causes of platelet deficiency, either transient or permanent. And these are drugs that we use. Even some of the antibiotics like chloromycetin can damage your platelets irreparably. Chemicals can also cause platelet damage and certain congenital factors. The point to remember from all this is to summarize that any persistent bleeding, especially in the non-dependent parts of the body, uh, for instance, the nose, the mouth, or the gums, accompanied by anemia, should never uh, Accompanied by anemia and bruising should never be uh, uh, ignored. Always check the full blood count. 
and if necessary, even do further investigations in the form of a bone marrow. Because the sooner the abnormalities are diagnosed, especially in the childhood malignancies, the better the outcome. If you diagnose childhood leukemia at the marrow stage, you'll almost get a hundred, you'll get a hundred percent cure. How, how, how do they cure childhood leukemia at that stage? Like what, what um, method of? They, they, they give the anti-leukemic drugs, which are very effective. Can, can we change the topic a little bit and just discuss what happens when you have blood clots? That's called, we we're talking about thrombocytopenia. We're, the other condition is thrombocytosis, where you have too many platelets. I've deliberately left this out because it's not a condition of childhood, but it's certainly a condition of adulthood where you have too many platelets, you overproduce platelets, and this is particularly in elderly individuals who have excessive stimulation of their marrow, usually with altitude changes and with emphysema, with lack of oxygen. You may start to produce excessive red blood cells to, com to combat your oxygen deficiency, but at the same time you'll produce too many platelets. So that, that, that is something that happens in adults. Explain what happens, for example, and I, I personally suffer from it. I had a broken leg and I landed up with DVT. I landed up with multiple DVTs. Why would such a condition happen? Because you've got increased propensity to clot your blood. The clotting factors rise, the platelets rise, everything rises, and your blood clots more easily. How do you treat that? You treat it by anticoagulants, by stopping the blood from clotting, removing the clotting factors, and if necessary, by venesection, removing some of the excess blood. Uh, like people who get blood for blood transfusion, they venesect themselves, they take off a certain amount of blood and therefore decrease the viscosity of the blood. But why would, why would a thing like a uh, a, a broken leg, or I, I, I mean, what I understood it was because of inertia of not moving. Yes. Why would ordinarily your blood clotting go up and give and give you a propensity for DVT? Because a, there's not sufficient circulation of the blood. The broken leg, you're not moving your limbs. That's a very important cause of embolism and death in people that are confined to bed. You've always got to manipulate your feet keep the circulation going, right. and also the increased viscosity of the blood that occurs in elderly people, and particularly living at high altitudes. In Johannesburg, you live at 6,000 feet. Your blood, your total blood volumes, very much increased. Viscosity is increased as compared to sea level. So that's, that then explains why um, people who uh, need to worry about it have to take precautions when they're going on a plane because then the altitude gets even worse. Absolutely. You don't move, you don't move your limbs. I tell you to get up and walk every afternoon. So would you take something before the flight then? No. Okay. You say just... just, just, just you know, there you go. No. At least you're susceptible to flight. Get up and walk. And drink, no? And it's drink. A dozen, dozen drink lots of fluid. We're speaking to Dr. Castle and we're talking about blood, blood, blood abnormalities. 
just uh, uh, mention that Fagi and myself run a WhatsApp group um, where we drop just a thought on living more healthy and hoping to inspire you to change your life. If you'd like to join us, you may. You may send an email to info at highfm.com. Give us your name. Give us your We will gladly join you. To note that it is admin run, so we don't spam you, and you can always leave it on silent and peruse it whenever you want. So that's info at highfm.com. Um, we would definitely welcome you onto our group. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Okay, we are talking with Dr. Kassel, and I think that you want to bring all these ideas into English. Okay, go ahead. I want to summarize what we've said over the past three talks. We've dealt with abnormalities of the three vital components of the blood as namely the red blood cell, the white blood cell, and the platelet. Blood is indeed the elixir of life and is an essential component for our very existence. The red blood cell is the vital carrier of oxygen to all the major tissues of the body, and without adequate oxygen supply, tissues will never survive. The red blood cell abnormalities such as anemia were discussed in detail and its multiple causes have been discussed, and this has a very significant effect on our lives. The white blood cell is comprised of its five major components that we discussed, the neutrophil, the eosinophil, the basophil, the lymphocyte, and the monocyte, all, which, all of which play a major part in organizing our body defenses. The neutrophils, the eosinophils, and the basophils are our first line of defense, with the tissues become infected mainly with bacteria and the neutrophils, the eosinophils, basophils, decimate those bacteria and infected tissue, reduce them to debris or pus. They also play a vital role, these three cells, in controlling allergy and eliminating parasites and poisons. The last two components of the white blood cell spectrum are the lymphocyte and the monocyte, which compact viruses and are responsible for our immunity. They are subject to antigenic stimulation of various types and break up in the bone marrow to form millions of antibodies that go off and attack the invading uh, intruders. This also gives rise to the rapidly expanding field of autoimmune disease, where the resultant antibody may not only attack the antigen, but attack the body tissues as well. This is undoubtedly a field that, in which the future of medicine lies. I confidently predict that over the next decade or two, all our thoughts and research will be centered on the antibody good or bad, its good effects and its harmful effects. Lastly, the platelet or clotting cells, which plays a vital role in controlling bleeding by going to the site of the bleeding, to form a sticky clot, giving the body's natural clotting factors sufficient time to take over and form a permanent blood clot. If I can leave you with one message from our past three discussions of the blood system, 
is how complicated and entwined it all still is. Even though medical science continues to make tremendous advances with the study of the red blood cell, the white blood cell, and platelet, there is still a very wide gap between the mechanisms that have served us well for the past 3,300 years and the understanding of our present mechanisms. This is mainly in the white cell antibody field. As each day goes by, more and more information is relieved as to the exact workings of the immune system. Even though the field of immunity has shown tremendous progress over the past decade, and thousands of lives have undoubtedly been saved by vaccinations, in my opinion, natural immunity is still the gold standard of immunity. Get the disease and you'll usually be immune for life. The supplementary factors should only be used to enhance this natural immunity or to augment it when it is likely to be deficient. Natural immunity is the best acquired immunity. That's the message I want to leave you with. So, Dr. Kassel, my question is going to be about your favorite topic, antibiotics. Well, because if someone, if someone has a bacteria and their body can't fight it, is it with types of bacteria can you almost not feed with antibiotics? Well, first of all, you've got to see, look at the thing in perspective. Today, what our major labs will tell you that 90 to 95% of our upper respiratory infections, to take one example, are viral, and only 5 or 10% are bacterial. And it's well documented that if, in some cases, if you use antibiotics in viral infections, you will actually worsen the viral infection. In fact, the editor of the BMJ wrote an article about this about 10 years ago, where he said, if you want to diagnose the glandular fever syndromes, put them on antibiotic X, and I can't mention the name because it'd be libelous, but uh, put them on antibiotic X and they will have full-blown glandular fever within three to five days. And this is unfortunately what happens, that tonsillitis gets diagnosed because there are white spots on the tonsil. White spots on the tonsil may not necessarily mean bacterial tonsillitis. Bacterial tonsillitis is usually streptococcal tonsillitis, which is pus on the tonsil and accompanied by a rash. Ordinary white spots on the tonsil are usually viral. So what is the what is the correct thing to do? If you possibly can, and if the cost factors are not the limiting factor, take a swab and wait for 24 hours. Nothing's going to happen. Know what you're dealing with. And before you start putting all sorts of multiple viruses on antibiotics, uh, you, 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 you will cause the problems that I've mentioned. Also, with the multiple use of antibiotics, remember that the germs can always mutate. They can become cleverer than us. And today you get the name uh, bandied about of hospital-resistant stats, hospital-resistant organisms, which means that if you come into the hospital and you acquire one of these hospital-resistant germs, whatever antibiotic you use will not work. They are resistant. And this is the great danger facing us today. People are dying today because of hospital-resistant bacterial infections. And one can only conclude 
that this has come about through our overuse of antibiotics. Would you, would you then say that overuse of antibiotics has an effect on, like, auto, like can create the autoimmunity or let's say have an effect on our, our immune system that eventually would create the, the does, is it linked to the clotting issue? I'm sure that it's linked to the immune system because all you can do is break down immunity and cause more and cause the germs to start changing their form, their format. And when you start doing that, the antibiotic won't work, neither will your immunity work. But immunity is directed against a specific bacteria. But when that bacteria starts changing its form and its mechanisms, the antibody, the antibody, your natural antibody won't work either. It will be hit from two, two, two sources. Well, I think, I think we, we just need to put into, into perspective. We're certainly not knocking the use of antibiotics that definitely has a place. We not at all. Antibiotics are life-saving. But used judiciously, you can't get uh, a whole pack of children coming into uh, doctor's rooms and all of them marching out with an antibiotic. You cannot get that happening. That is not correct. And never mind children coming in, even even adults. The bottom line, I think, of what you're saying is that in order to ensure natural immunity, one needs to ensure healthy eating, giving your body what it needs in order to function properly, um, and, and really go down down the chain of cause and effect to go and see that the way we are living and the amount of preservatives, additives, and nonsense we are speaking into our bodies, the amount of environmental toxins that we have, eventually what we're doing down the line is we are building up um, to infections, to overuse of antibiotics that eventually has an autoimmune disease, and this is where we are today. That is where we are today, crisscrossing and augmenting one or other abnormality, as Abel is beautifully putting it. By your overuse of medications, you're causing changes in the format of the organisms, changes in the format of the organisms are confusing your natural antibody system, and so you remain sick all the time. This is 101.9 High FM. This is the Healthy You, Wealthy You show with Adol Kosilski and Fagy Stern. Yeah, we just got couple of minutes left, and I think, Peggy, you asked a very interesting question. Dr. Kassel, what about bristles and um, clotting issues? Well, normally, a properly done bris should not involve too many clotting issues. As long as major vessels are not cut, the, the, the mole who does the bris and does it frequently knows how to avoid this and also uses a clamp as a compressor. So he's doing the work of the platelets, but presuming the child's count is normal, the platelets will congregate over there and bleeding time will be less than four minutes. And bristles are perfectly safe from that point of view. But if a child is muscularly uh, a hemophiliac or has a clotting factor deficiency, one of the first places you may see it is at the bristle. They just can't control the bleeding. And if that happens in very, very rare cases, it's not anything to speak against doing a bris, which is part of our Jewish heritage and tradition. Bris must always be done. But if you do suspect clotting abnormalities in the family, then check in the baby as well. 
before you do that. There you have it, just to, just to, to finish this off and to explain that um, hemophilia is a genetic disease. So it's not that, you know, you kind of like catch it from the air or anything like that. Right. If you have a, a, a known, known disease, then, then check it. Again, thank you very much, Dr. Kassel. I've, again, learned a tremendous amount, and we appreciate your time and your effort, and we look forward to many more shows this year. If anyone would like to suggest a topic that we, we speak about on the radio, again, send an email to info at highfm.com, and we will definitely do our best to, to find out more and look at healthier ways that we can navigate our lives. And with that note, thank you, Dr. Castle. Thank you, Faye. Thank you thank so much. Thank you, Dr. Castle. So nice thing in person. It's been a pleasure doing it like this. <laughs> well, you can come again. We're, <laughs> we're happy to host you. And to all our listeners, have a wonderful, healthy week ahead.